Welcome to the Creative Giant Show, where we go behind the scenes about what it means to live a life full of creative and professional success. Creative giants are talented, renaissance souls with a compassion-fueled bias towards action. Now, here is your host, Charlie Gilkey. Hello, Creative Giants. This is episode 46 of the Creative Giant Show. Bridget Lyons is my special guest. Bridget is the founder of B, a boutique PR agency that specializes in storytelling for the social era. She works with mission-driven organizations and forward-thinking businesses to craft storylines that hook the media and captivate customers. In addition to managing PR campaigns and content marketing for clients, Bridget's agency has a track record of teaching entrepreneurs how to take media outreach into their own hands. Her students have gone on to get coverage in CNN.com, El Decor, The Huffington Post, ESPN.com, and more. Given what she's working on and the new direction she's taking her business, I have a feeling that Bridget is going to be someone everyone knows in the years to come. Listen in to see why. Bridget, thanks so much for the great work you do and for joining us on the show today. Uh, thank you, Charlie. It's just like I'm such a thrill or such a thrill to be here with you. All righty. Um, this is going to be a fun one. I know it's going to be a fun one. So let's start with the beginning since we always do origin stories. How did you start your PR business and end up where you are today? Yeah, well, I've been thinking about that lately because I feel like my career has been this process of bringing all these disparate interests together. You know, I really resonate with um, Emily's work on multi-potentialites. Mm -hmm if you're familiar with that. And I've always felt like, how do you stick to one thing? And when I was in school, I majored in creative writing, but I also did a lot of classes in poli-sci, political science and philosophy. Mm -hmm. And I got into PR like a lot of people do because coming out of school with a creative writing degree, you just kind of wonder, well, how can I have a creative field? What can I go into? And I'd done an internship in public relations um, in up in Michigan where, where I was living at the time. And I just really loved it, you know, doing press events and writing press releases. And I got to do a whole newsletter by myself. And it was so exciting for like this, you know, kid fresh out of college. And when I got into it, I went into um, a company that focused on public affairs, which is like political work issue management. And I really have always had like a very strong kind of political advocacy bent. I'm very opinionated, <laughs> which people who know me know. And um, I kind of, though, over time, got a little bit of disillusionment with that process. So one of the things I was finding in my more political and government relations work was that I could get somebody booked on the radio or get something on CNN or put something in the newspaper. And it wouldn't really be checked in the way that I thought was responsible journalism. And I started looking at our political system and feeling so heartbroken. So I went totally the other direction and decided I'm going to work with artists and creative types because, <laughs> they're, you know, I'm not like harming the world doing that. Um, so I got into that work because at the time I was also doing some lifestyle blogging and looking into that and like totally went the other direction. And that's when I started going off on my own and doing freelance work and doing what so many people who think they want a career path do. You know, I was going to do online courses and maybe do a little work on the side and some ghostwriting or whatever, like things like that. And over time, I realized that that wasn't really it either. And so what I'm doing today really blends, I think, what I've learned in both of those spaces where we really focus with using public relations and content and social media as tools to help people and organizations who have a mission, a message that they really feel like should be out there and that is underrepresented in the media 
Um, and so we're kind of a little bit back now towards where I started with a political vet, but not working in politics, working more um, on the side of the organizations or individuals with big ideas. That's fantastic. And I wanted to start here because, you know, there, there are plenty of listeners who might be like myself. And it's like, what is the point of PR for a lot of people nowadays? Because you've gone like PR was too good. People weren't fact checking. You pivoted. You went another direction. And now you're coming back to PR. But really, does it is PR re- even relevant anymore? Yeah, that is, a, I think, a fair question. And you know, I think that when we people say public relations, like no one has a really good idea of it. And people really think of media relations and publicity work. And I'm not a publicist, right? I'm not somebody working with celebrities to spin um, publicity stories about what's happening with Ben Affleck and Jennifer Garner and their divorce. You know, that's like, that's one, one aspect. And what I think of the work we do, what the big picture is, is helping people contextualize their message in such a way that it can really reach the audience they're trying to move. And so it's first looking at what is it that you want to get out in the world? And what we're finding and working with people is that they know what their message should be, but they have a really hard time struggling it or they have a hard time and struggle with communicating in a way that can resonate with their audience, that their audience can often understand it because you're three steps usually as an expert or somebody who really cares about a cause ahead of the people you most want to reach. And so one hand, PR can really help you with that in terms of looking at media research, customer research, best practices in, in writing and things like that and help you put your message in a way that people can receive it and act on it. And then the other part to that is what we think of PR being, which is what are all of the different ways now that we can reach those people? And so when you look at PR in that more holistic environment, it's more relevant than ever because people are so distracted, so overwhelmed with information. It's a harder job in a way than it used to be. Um, But when you look at, well, everybody has tools. I mean, you can go on a Twitter and tweet a journalist and get into like Forbes or the New York Times. So when you look at those tools, you know, it can, it's like, okay, well, do I need a publicist? And the answer is maybe, you know, it depends on your time and your budget and who you're, what you're trying to achieve. But when you look at the bigger picture strategic level, um, I think it's actually a harder job than it, it was even 10 years ago. Yeah, I want to come back to that. I want to come back to some of this, but You mentioned you can go on Twitter and you can find a journalist. And I think where the does PR matter anymore question comes from is like, I own my own media now. Like I, you know, why do I need that anymore? And I'm asking not so much so you're you're hawking hawking the hell out of your wares here. But, you know, it's one of those things that I think one of the interesting tensions of where, where you might be going through, you know, we talked a little bit about it is you're maybe, maybe not. We'll see. You're in the position of your clients where you're trying to explain this skill set, the solution set that you have in a way that resonates with where they are. Right. And so that's really what I want to get to, because I know that so many creative giants out there, like we hear about PR and we hear about publicity and well, I'll, I'll back up a little bit. Um, someone yesterday, we were talking about whether it was time to, to have a publicist for PF or a PR agent. And I was like, I don't know, because one, I don't know the value of mm-hmm. PR at this point in time. Two, I tend to think in different ways in the sense of what creates a PR moment, not like a stunt, but what are the types of things that would catch national attention or things like that? And let's focus on doing those things rather than focusing on someone that's going to ask me, like, what am I going to promote? Like what? You know what I mean? Like, yeah, 
Yeah, it's a good question. Um, you, you know, as you're talking about the moment and, and capturing something national attention, one of the things I think that somebody who has experience in the industry can bring is saying, well, did you know that you can pay to get a Gallup question answer asked? So like one of the ways to get a big national moment, right, is to have a survey that reaches more than a thousand people and that you can talk about. So like that, you know, there is some of that of like experience and what can you do? That said, I don't think necessarily the answer for everyone is that you need a publicist. I think that one of the actually big parts of my business, so 50% of our revenue stream for our business is from doing direct client work and 50% of it is from training. And I think both are incredibly important and they totally feed and build upon each other. And when people come to me and say, well, do I need to hire you? The honest answer is no, you don't. I mean, you can learn this stuff. You can do this stuff. Um, it's an industry that really fights to survive by trying to maintain secrecy. And I, I do not endorse that. I do not believe in that. And actually part of my work is undoing that perception. Um, because you could go out there and make the context that you need to make and build relationships with journalists and pitch your story and come up with great ideas. And you know your message really well. Um, and like you said, we all have opportunities to build content. One of the things that people will come to us for though is, you know, sometimes they just don't have the time. Sometimes they don't um, know where to go. So they're like, well, I don't listen to all this media or I don't know where my customer is looking for. And that happens with a startling frequency. <laughs> I have to yeah. admit when I started doing it, it's like for people who like, I love listening to podcasts. It's like my, I go for a walk every day and like listen to a podcast every day. And so as somebody who loves to consume media, um, like obsessed with Reddit, you know, all of those things. Like <laughs> I know one of those people. Oh, so, sometimes. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, I was one of those people who really likes to keep up with things that are happening, especially around social issues. It's surprising to me sometimes to hear from people who even with all that's available, don't have the inclination or even the starting knowledge of like, where might my people be hanging out? And so, I mean, sometimes it's just, they don't have the time or the skill set, and they don't want to do it, which is perfectly reasonable. We outsource things in our business all the time. We just don't want to do, but if it is something you have a knack for an ability for, especially as like a small business or an entrepreneur, it can be really valuable. One of the places where I think PR is still at its most relevant is um, bigger organizations, or even like one of the things that um, my business partner, Maggie Hessler, and I both have in common is an interest in working with people in nonprofits and cause marketing. And she actually has a nonprofit background. And if you think about a nonprofit, part of the reason they exist is awareness building. And that's why PR exists. And so there's a real synerg synergy there in terms of if you have a lean and mean team on your nonprofit or in your cause, and you have a big campaign to push out, coming in with creativity, because there, I mean, the sky's the limit for the things you can do. Um, and so having a creative team that can look at you know, what are the options, I think becomes more and more imperative to the bottom line of actually why your organization exists. Okay. So, you know, I'm glad you mentioned that because when you explain, like, you can build a media context and you can do all this, I was like, man, that sounds suspiciously like work. <laughs> right. It is. Um, <laughs> and work and time. And I don't know about all that. Um, but, you know, I think, so the person I was talking to, and correct me if I'm wrong here, I was like, it seems like when you hire a publicist, basically you're hiring their black book. Like you're getting all the different contacts that they get and that they can send something and know that 18 people they need to send it to tomorrow where you're on this side of the fence. You're like, I don't know who, which 18 people do I need to send this to, you know? 
Yeah. The contact thing is so interesting for me because um, this is something I debate a lot because journalists move all the time. There's huge layoffs. And so the black book is less and less of a feature. And honestly, some of the agencies that I've worked for have exaggerated the kinds of contacts their teams are going to get. Say it now, ain't so. I know. Spinning PR agencies. And so um, if somebody can pick up the phone and they know that they're reaching the right person on the end and they have a rapport, totally matters, helps. I'm never going to say that that doesn't help. On the other hand, it can really help to, and I'm going to like toot my own horn, like work with somebody who can cold pitch a CNN producer and get somebody on the air two weeks later and knows how to look for, I think a lot of PR is pattern recognition. What are the trends in the media? What kind of stories do people like to do? It's again, a skill that anyone can develop. It's a skill that came really naturally to me, probably because of my creative writing background and like reading all that literature and having to do all the analysis. Um, and so it's, it's something that I can do really quickly and easily for a client, whereas it's something you have to learn how to look for. So I think that's another thing that you're just getting is this experience of saying, um, oh, that will work or it doesn't, or things are changing. Like one example is we have a client who about three years ago had a total, a lot of local news coverage and their lifestyle business. It's kind of fluff pieces. Mm-hmm. And in their local news, they were all over the place three years ago. And one of the things we're looking into now is local news coverage has changed. It's become more investigative focused. And so for them, they might be thinking, well, we did this three years ago. Why can't we do it again? And for us, it's like, well, local news isn't what it used to be. I'm in um, San Francisco market and they don't do in studios anymore here in San Francisco. And so also just kind of knowing that and saying like, okay, that's not an avenue for you anymore. But hey, you want to try podcasting because they have better traffic conversion anyway. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So great. We have context about what PR is and how it fits in with things. And that's more than you ever needed. No, no. Well, the thing about it is, is like, so you did PR for Mm -hmm. certain types of companies and then you go on the complete other side with creatives and artists and things like that and really talk to us about when you made that switch like what were some of the challenges that you faced as you entered that arena well it's interesting because when i went into it i went into it going i'm going to all these craft markets and these people don't even have like websites and God, I could really help them. So like maybe a little arrogance there, um, a little bit of truth too, you know? And I think the biggest challenges though, because I training those people was a lot of fun and I ran courses and it was awesome because at that level, it's mostly going to be training because they don't necessarily have the resources to afford it. Um, I think the challenges were more with me that the questions weren't as like complex and interesting for me to chew on. Whereas after a while, I kind of was like, Oh, I don't like if people don't even have a way to capture the interest once they have it and they're bringing those kinds of questions to me, I'm not like a good business coach. I'm not that person. Like I have a lot of friends who are business and life coaches and I'm like, I don't know how you do it. Like that's not me. And so I just think that with that audience, there were a lot of things that I couldn't give them or help them with or that I could see like five steps down. And it was, I think, a little bit of a tension point. Um, And so it was going fine. But it was more me and my work style. The uh, the bigger problem, though, the real problem was that this idea that I could run an online training business and be happy. And I was not. And, you know, that 
bringing in some money that way and like working on my computer all day and like not one-on-one interacting and not doing one-on-one client work would feel fulfilling. And that was, it was not good for me. But Bridget, that's like the dream though. That's that's like the thing that that everyone like you put up a website, you teach your online course, um, you, yeah. you you know, it's going crazy and you're sipping, you know, uh, Mai Tais in Hawaii because that's just what you do. So what was it about that that didn't make you happy? Yeah. And, you know, I don't want to knock it. Like I'm inc- really close to Tara Gentili. I actually co-teach a pro- one of her, her signature program. So I don't want to knock that model. It's not a bad model and it works for a lot of people. Um, it doesn't work for me because there's two things. Um, one is that well, three, I guess one is that I'm like an extreme extrovert and I like talking my ideas out with people. And it's harder to do that when you don't have a team, the other piece. So that's like a personal thing. Um, another piece is I missed leading a team. So when I was in the PR agencies, when I left, I was a team lead, I was leading multiple teams at a time. And there's a lot of people who say, you know, oh, I don't want to spend an hour teaching somebody that I could something that I could do in 10 minutes myself. I am totally the opposite. I would rather spend you spend like three hours teaching something to somebody. I love mentoring. I love that piece of work and I missed it. And then the last one is that, you know, I think sometimes we forget that some of the big challenges need big teams. And there's this bias in our community for being lean and flexible and I want flexibility and I want freedom. And that resonated with me. And I think I thought online business was the way to get it. But for me, it wasn't creating what I wanted, which is this opportunity to work on really important meaty issues and not engaging with that hurt me. You know, it hurt. I had to turn away work that I would have loved to do. And it was heartbreaking. And it was a real turning point in realizing I want to be working on these bigger challenges. I want to be doing bigger work. And how can I meld these two models together, the agency model and the online business model in a way that would help me and also help our clients and the people I was serving more? There's a lot of brilliant stuff there that I want to unpack. Um, <laughs> well, because that's what it is, is, is that... Um, it, it goes back to the Greeks, right? Know thyself. Mm-hmm. And it's sometimes hard when you're reading different materials about the way other people are doing it to not understand that at the same time that you're reading that, you're kind of like osmotically picking up their values, mm-hmm. right? And so if you're, especially for certain industries, um, I'll, I'll pick on the lifestyle design business, right? There are a lot of real just like lone wolves in that in that world. And they thrive on being lone wolves, they build business models that are great for lone wolves. If you're not a lone wolf type of person, you will be unhappy. And I found that out the hard way myself too, right? Um, I'm, a, I'm a pack animal to the core. Like I love having a team. I love, I'm the same way as you. Like I, I would rather train someone on how to do something um, than do it myself, right? Because mm-hmm. one, there's more value out. If, it, if what you're teaching is valuable, now there's two people that know how to do that out there in the world. And that's better than one person, right? Yeah. And there's also, it's just way more fun for me. You no, know, yep. it drives other people crazy. So first, you got to know yourself. Um, two, you got to know your industry. Um, and I wanted to pull back to big problems need big teams. Mm-hmm. Um, what big problem are you going after? Yeah, well, we're looking in. So that's a big transition we're in right now. Um, It's so interesting. I just had some friends out who all work for the government. 
and and they're in Washington, D.C. Mm-hmm. And one of the things I was talking about their their work, which is like classified, I can't even talk about it, <laughs> you know, like really important work. And just thinking about the, the jobs they do, they can only do within the context of the government. There's nowhere else for that. And some of the jobs that I want to do, I do think there are organizations taking on big questions. Like a really funny example is Maggie Hesser, who is like our account lead came to me and we were talking about who she wants to work with. And she mentioned charity water. And I was like, Oh, I actually saw the leader of this conference. And like, we should go for that, you know, and the kinds of things like bringing water to people in Africa, like one individual is not going to be able to do that. Um, and so I think that's the kind of thing of saying, who are the organizations out there doing world changing work at that level? And maybe we don't want to be the agency of record because I don't want to be a huge agency. Um, I'm trying to figure that balance out, but maybe we can do projects with them. A a role model for me in this is um, the design firm uh, IDEO. Mm -hmm. So they're known as, you know, the best in class, like product design company in the world based here in Silicon Valley. They grew up with like Apple and building the first app, designing the first Apple mouse. Um, and they're known for both their projects, but also the methodology that they bring to people and the thinking. And they're not a huge organization, you know, and, and I think that that to me is a really interesting place to be where you're known both for your ideas as a company, as well as the work and the output, and you get to work on cool challenges. And they actually have a whole like social innovation arm to their company now where they're working on some of these interesting projects. So I look at companies like that and I think, God, I'd really love to grow my company in that direction. Interesting, because on the one hand, you said the solo thing, not for me. Mm -hmm. But this whole like big agency thing, don't think it's for me either. Um, What makes you think that? Um... You know, it's funny you ask me that. I'm like, well, I probably bring a lot of preconceived notions to the table. I think one of the things is the culture that I like to have within my company. I've worked at agencies big and small, and I do want to work in a company where we feel really collaborative, where we feel like people have buy into the work you're doing. And I think that after a certain point, um, it becomes harder and harder to do that. Um, I also... Like I said, like I like to travel and take off for a month at a time. And that's when I'm like, oh, well, I probably could do that just as well with a big agency. I don't know. That's a great question, Charlie. <laughs> You've stumped me. But I do think, I mean, there's a culture that we all know each other, that we're all collaborating. That I, I think there's something also about having small, nimble teams that can form around the work. One of the things that we do, because you know, we are growing and we're new is we bring in contractors when we need them. And we're always looking for who's the person that we're going to bring on next and where's the need. And I think we're able to adapt to the changing questions that our clients will bring us better than if I have a staff of a hundred and they all have these real fixed roles and that kind of corporate structure, I think might limit our ability to innovate alongside with our clients. Interesting. I ask because, you know, you mentioned IDEO. Um, we can also throw out some other companies who I think are good models for, for this. So we've got Basecamp, who mm-hmm. I don't know what their team is now, but they've got a distributed model. And, they, you know, they're, they're not small, but they're not big yet either. Um, you've got Duarte Design, which I know you know about, which mm-hmm. last I knew she had around 100 people in that form. She probably mm-hmm. has more now. The Energy Project by Tony Schwartz. Um, 
what I, what I'm probing at, what I'm curious about here is it seems like yes, we do have these preconceived notions and we are in that age group of people that are defining new leadership and organizational models largely based upon societal changes and technology changes. And so every time it's like, I don't want a big company, I'm like, why? Mm. Why don't we want a big company? What are those assumptions that we have about that? And might there be a way that we can have, you know, 30 three-person teams that still have that flexibility and collaboration that we fill those special teams on different things rather than having 25 people looking at each other at a meeting wondering what's going on, right? Because that's, I think, not necessarily Bridget's, but that's what yeah. we think about is, a bunch of people equals a bunch of meetings, a bunch of work not done. Nobody likes it. Like, you know, sure, the foosball table is fun, but we don't like our jobs. You know, it's you're asking me an interesting question, too, because one of the things that we're constantly pushing ourselves to is not being limited in what we think we can build. And I, I was just talking to Maggie for this call. We've been working on this whole messaging framework. And I'm really proud of the work we're doing right now. And I feel so clearly that we're moving in the right, the right direction and that pride and also having a pride in your team, like really helps, you know, where I don't have to say I'm building the best in class company for what we do. I can say my team is building the best in class company, which for me, and there might be a little gendered thing too, you know, that's more comfortable. <laughs> um, so, I mean, we can poke at that, but like, let's just like, own it, you know, that's more comfortable. And, and it's nice to brag about the people who are working for you. And it is a constant challenge for me to look at what might this become and not yet, like you said, like have preconceived notions about what a big company has to look like. It's funny because like my husband works for a huge corporation and, you know, there are a lot of things he loves about his job. So I see that too, as kind of a reality check of, there's also things he doesn't love about his job, you know? So it's how can we do better on, on different kinds of scales? And I think that's an interesting question that you're right. We haven't quite figured out yet. We're in the very beginning of that process. What scares you about this transition that you're going through? Okay. I'm going to give you my honest answer. <laughs> well, I wouldn't want you to give me the not honest answer. I, oh, I know, but um, it scares me because it matters to me so much. It, I, and that's why I know I'm on the right track. I feel, I have this belief that a lot of nonprofits and mission-based organizations are asking the wrong questions about content. You know, they're asking questions like, how often do I need to post to social media? And, oh, you may have to blog more than once a month. And they're not asking questions like, are there ways to move from things like slacktivism into real engagement? You know, they're not grappling, not all of them, but I think as an industry, not always grappling with the right questions. And that's why I'm really interested in looking into and working with the companies who are doing really innovative things here. I have a very dear friend, for example, Marion Elliott, mm -hmm. and she has, uh, she's heading up an organization called action station in New Zealand. And they're doing amazing work with social activism and political activism using content marketing, email marketing, Facebook, what have you. And I look at that and I think that wow, the work she's doing matters so much and it's really innovative and cutting edge. And that's the work that I want to be doing. And frankly, there, it's just saying that is frightening, you know, just being so very invested in your work. Um, 
and not knowing what's going to happen as you make the transition. So, I mean, those are, I think, normal feelings, but owning it of like, I'm excited, but I also just feel sick to my stomach a lot of the time. Yeah, that I understand that one. Um, So you mentioned that there are several things, right? There's the not knowing where it's going, Mm -hmm. right? Um, I'm going to, I'm going to maybe make this awkward for you. Okay. Is part of it like this feeling of maybe like the fraud police showing up? Like, who are you to make this statement? Who are you to be the leader of this type of company? Like, who cares type of thing going on? Sometimes. I mean, when we started talking about our business role models and all the names you were throwing around, the thought of I'm intentionally trying to build a company like that. Definitely. And actually it's Maggie who came to me with a lot of this stuff, you know? And I was like, wait, what did you just say? She's like, I just found out about this company. And I'm like, wait, you mean, and like pull out the book, you know, like, (laughs) I'm like, are you kidding me? And then I have to sit with it and realize like, I'm glad she's brought that to me. And that is a thing. Cause if you don't work for that, what are you going to do? So there, there is part of that. And And what does help me again is that whole, well, it doesn't have to be me, you know, and I don't have to be the very best. What I have to be is relentlessly focused on our mission, which is what I would tell my PR clients to be too, you know, (laughs) message, bring it back, Um, is that you just have to be relentlessly focused on what you're trying to achieve and, and not get distracted and And so I try, whenever I get scared, I just try to say like, okay, well, that's a lot to live up to. And I think having goals that are aspirational is, is good for an organization or an individual. I'm going to push back a little bit more, but why couldn't it be you? Why couldn't it be you? Long dramatic pause. (laughs) Not good for uh, radio. Why couldn't it be me? What I, what I want my legacy to be as like an individual is a little different than what I want my company legacy to be. And I went into this knowing that. So like as an individual, what I want my legacy to be is building a, I haven't like messaged this, but like a humane organization, a humane company. So for me, the end goal is having, knowing that I've built a company that is going to last past me that I could turn it over to somebody I could die and that it will still be a company in, you know, a hundred years and that it pays people a great wage and creates a great environment for people to work. So I feel really strong. Like I can stake my claim. Like that's what I'm trying to do. Um, the other stuff matters to me personally. Why couldn't it be me? I don't have an answer for that. Maybe it could be, (laughs) I mean, I do feel like I can take the responsibility for trying to build a team and environment that allows that work to happen. I also think that like, I have this thing about myself where I think I'm really strategic and forward thinking and, and I can look at different industries and pull together. Like what I'm kind of doing in my work is taking things that are happening in startups and online businesses and bringing them to nonprofits or other kinds of social change organizations. I'm great at that. But like when it comes to the like really creative, like, I don't know what creative means in this sense, but like the creative PR stunt fun stuff, like, I don't think that's me. So it could be me, but I don't think I can do it alone. So you're saying that there might be an alternative way to do what you're trying to do without trying to be somebody else and creating those stunts that you don't think is you. 
Right. Part of that way might be also hiring people with that skill set, right? Rounding it out. Yeah, go go hire Ryan Holiday. You'll get all the stunts that you need. Oh, I love Ryan. I want to meet him. Can you make that happen for me? We'll see. I read his book in one day. <laughs> yeah, so the books that we're talking about probably are, um, is it All Marketers or Liars? No, no, uh, that's... Trust that's, Me, I'm Lying. Yeah, Trust Me, I'm Lying. I get those two, um, <laughs> those two confused. Um, I don't know. Trust Me, I'm Lying is one of those books that when you read it, um, have have a good dark arts filter on because it, it could make you very mad. Um, but it's still worth a read. It's, you know... I don't think what he's saying is untrue. It's not untrue. It's, and that's why it's like one of those things that'll make you mad. <laughs> yeah, it's 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 definitely, I would say, required reading for anyone in the industry. And I can see that isn't how I practice PR. Although we have had conversations about are there things in this book that we could be doing. And Maggie is like a bulldog. Like she is willing to go further than I am with things, not on the ethical front. Like I don't, I will, I'm giving a weird impression, but she's definitely more like aggressive with follow-up and coming back with more ideas than I am. Whereas I'm much quicker to back off. And so I do think there are some things in there that I'm like, Hmm, you know, is, are these all horrible? I don't know. Well, let's, let's pull people into the conversation since Sorry. we're there. What, what are like, give us a couple of things that, that you've been considering. Well, like, okay, so one of the things that um, Ryan Holiday doesn't trust me, I'm lying or talks about doing is having um, people send in anonymous tips to like TechCrunch and Gawker to place stories on his clients. And it works for him because he's working for really button pushing companies like American Apparel. And so, you know, it's really easy to have somebody on the company do a dummy email account and send something salacious about American apparel to Gawker and get it published. But you know, how different is that than when we have a client publish an article and we want the client to leverage it or be asked back on a somebody's show. And so we say, ask everybody, all of your followers to tweet this and, and get, make it go viral. Like we've helped clients make these things go viral after the fact. So you kind of wonder like, you know, that's not the worst idea. And is it unethical? I, mean, I don't know. Yeah. I mean, the thing about it is, is that not that he advises doing this, but he generates scandals. That's yeah. the thing is that he'll generate either a false scandal or he'll create a scandal. Um, right. So when I talked about PR moments earlier, that's where you guys couldn't see it because, you know, um, this is audio. But Bridget was like, oh, no, because she was thinking of creating a scandal. And that's not right. what I'm talking about. But, you know, that's what it'll do. Create a, create a pseudo scandal, email TechCrunch, email all these places. And then a bunch of people talk about the pseudo schedule, scandal because right. it's, it's a ladle dropper, you know. And his thought is really along the all PR is good PR line. And I don't I don't buy into that. I don't believe that. So, OK. Um, a little, a little detour there. Um, yeah. I know she's like, sweet. I got off the, I got off the, why not me thing. That was, <laughs> me. I'm like, hi Ryan. <laughs> <laughs> the smoke flag PR at its best there. <laughs> Uncomfortable flag, 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 bright, shiny object. Um, okay. So what, what really, you, you said this work matters to you and that's what scares you about it. What? What is it about that? What what really is it about that, that that lights you up, that makes your lip quiver? Well, I really like I really am. I think I've always been sort of a, a activist trapped in like a pragmatist body, you know, <laughs> and I don't 
currently have a great outlet for that. Um, so I don't like necessarily posting super controversial stuff and debating on Facebook, although I've started experimenting with like thinking about different ways to do that. And I have this big belief that people should be talking about politics to their friends, that it shouldn't be a taboo conversation, um, because how else are we ever t- going to have empathy and create social change and all kinds of stuff? And so, I mean, there's part of it of this is, I feel like the first time in my life where I'm actually going towards what I'm, what I should be doing and, and not being so afraid and finding a way to bring that into my work in a better way. So when I did the public affairs work, you know, I was at an agency and I had an internship at this really great, was my first position in an agency with a very connected, uh, company who worked with a bunch of like the democratic machine. I'm from Chicago. And one of the things I was able to do was staff, an Obama fundraiser when he was running for the state Senate. And we were in this like tiny little bar. We had like a pizza. I was, three feet away from him when he gave his talk. And it was a really powerful moment in my life. And a long time I thought, do I want to be a political staffer? Do I want to go into that? And I realized that I didn't because I didn't like seeing how that works. And I got very disillusioned. And I think I'm starting to realize that there's another way to do those kinds of things and approach that work without without feeling like I'm losing pieces of myself in the process. So it feels like this thing that I've been pushing down my entire life and that it's finally, I'm finally allowing it to come out and to, to guide what I'm doing in in my professional life. And I really believe in being like an integrated person. I'm not really into the work life divide or work life balance conversations because I just feel like you have a life, you know, that's it and make your use of it, how you choose to. And this is how I choose to. So that's, that's for me, or it just feels like this piece of me that I've been repressing for a very long time and trying to find outlets for and kind of uh, didn't work and backing away. I mean, I don't want to say like I've been totally neglecting it, but yeah, it, it feels really good. Yeah. I wanted to applaud you for that because whatever change it is that you might want to make in the world, like you, you, Bridget, you know, me, Charlie, like we can always look out there and say like, Oh, that's how they're doing it. And I'm not going to do that. I'm going to opt out. Yeah. Opting out is not good because the status quo remains the same. Right. And it might be harder to find that alternative that works for you or that works for the new way or whatever that is. That just means it's the work that you need to do. You know, it's not the work that you opt out of and, I don't know. I, I think I think that's why I wanted to applaud that is because that's the thing, right? Is that you can you can either throw it away. I've talked about boomerangs on the on, the, on um, PF before, and it's just one of those things you throw it away, and it comes and whacks you back upside the head again. So you might as well figure out a good way to throw it and, and you know and yeah. use it, you know. So thank you for that. Well, thank you. I that's the Amazon thing that's happening. So there's a big New York Times. Some people would call it takedown piece of Amazon and their business practices. And um, there's been so many reactions to it online. So this is where I went on the Reddit like wormhole last night for like two Mm. hours. (laughs) You just want to take a bath after doing that sometimes. It's like, but I don't front page on Reddit. I go on like very specific. I'm like, people are talking about Amazon and the work practices. Who better to get input from that on our Redditors? Like, come on now. So, um, so I go into the Reddit wormhole and one of the, you see a couple of things, right? You see people saying, 
not from the, is this true or not, but people who accept it as true. So there's all kinds of debates, but people who are like, oh yeah, Amazon is a horrible company. They're creating horrible working conditions in the US. So there's two reactions to that. There's, do we boycott? There's a lot of people saying, do I stop working with Amazon? And then there's other people saying, well, what's the difference? All corporations are like this. This is just how it is. And that second reaction has always bothered me. And I get there's different personality types and I've become more accepting of that response, but I refuse to allow that to be my response. And I think that's what you're talking about of that. I, I want a lot of my work to be, and I think bringing back to the PR conversation as PR and all this is there's a way to communicate with people that helps combat apathy. And that's what I want to be a part of. I, I, I don't believe in being apathetic to the things that hurt you that are happening in the world that hurt your heart. And I want my work to be rallying cry for those issues for other people, because that happens to be what I'm good at. I love Cal Newport's book. So good. They can't ignore you. Mm-hmm. That really helped me recommit to my work in public relations, which a lot of people are like, oh, is it dying? Is it irrelevant? All these questions you asked at the top of the show. And I think those are great questions. On the other hand, I'm really good at what I do. And I'm at a point now where I can either leverage it to get what I want out of my life or I can start over. And there's no way. Why would I start over when I'm good at this? And it's something that I can put to service for companies that I care about or organizations I care about. What's the cause, topic or issue that you feel the strongest about that you're not using your voice for? So that's why I'm not in-house, because I have so many causes that I care about. Um, holy crap. Like, I mean, the list of things are so but, long. But the one that you you really want to talk about, but you just, you're not for different reasons. Oh. Well, in my work right now, I'm not talking really about any causes, right? In my personal <laughs> life, I'm pretty out there. So... Everything from human rights is something that really matters to me. Um, Everything from gay rights, women's rights, Black Lives Matter. Like, I'm really attuned, I think, to issues of privilege. And I think there's another way to have conversations about prejudices and biases and, you know, all all the things that we carry with us around that. So that's something that people don't see me talking about as much, but is very, very important to me. Um, Why don't they see you? Well, if you're, if you know me personally, you do. It's just because it's, it's interesting. I'm like, does that help me reach my mission? So this is a good question. And it's one I haven't had to grapple with because we're just starting this transition. So, you know, when I was working with an entrepreneur based audience, clearly like that stuff didn't have a place when I'm working in a mission based audience. And I think about my content, what's going to attract better clients, is it going to be being very vocal on my positions or is it going to be giving people strategic questions to chew on? I think the answer is probably both. And how I would, I started approaching that is using social media for the cause stuff and content for the strategy stuff. Um, so people, I think we'll see more of that for sure. Um, another one is like issues around voting, voting access, people, getting involved in politics at a local level. I think that matters. I think that that's why I talked about Marion Elliott and Action Station, because I think that the work they're doing or move on, you know, helping people see that this stuff actually impacts their day-to-day lives is important work. Um, 
yeah, environmental. I'm like all over it. I'm like, all <laughs> yeah. right, I'm just going to out there. Like I'm like generally pretty liberal, right? Um, I couldn't so, tell. Right. <laughs> so, I mean, I'm, I'm a, I'm a bleeding heart. What can I say? Yeah. Well, and <laughs> th- here's the reason me. I asked that question. <laughs> Well, part of it is riffing on your, your you know, this is what people aren't talking about this sort of things. So I'm like that, that irritated you. And it's like, okay, how are we practicing that? But the other thing that I want to say is a global sort of commentary is when you are an entrepreneur or a small business owner or a founder, there are parts of your life that, um, in ironically get shut off because we in in America don't mix business and politics. Yeah. Which means if all of our working, if we spend like 60% of our working lives in business working for someone, if we're entrepreneurs and that's our life, right? There aren't these areas where we can talk around, uh, talk about these types of issues because no matter where you go, it's taboo. Or here's what we can do, Bridget. You and I can talk about issues that we already both agree on and get really passionate and we already both agree. <laughs> right. What difference does that make, right? And so I'm I'm really interested to see as media, marketing, business, and everything becomes so connected and public, how we might start etching away at the fact that you can be a business leader, but you can't be a political leader unless you're Trump. But that's a whole nother matter. Or the Koch brothers or so like the thing that I would say is a counter to that and why why we should be more involved in that is that big businesses do that, right? They make massive contributions. They have lobbyists and they're out there lobbying for their interests. And so if we're a network of smaller businesses or a new way of working, how do we advocate for ourselves? And you see that a little bit like with you know, Airbnb has um, a massive lobbying team and are trying to change regulations. And I think people get so excited because they're a startup, but I think it would be worthwhile asking, well, what kind of economy do we want to be? And what kind of conditions do we want to be? And are some of these things came out of necessity? And is that really our future? Um, And asking hard questions about as if we would band together and we want to have a different kind of workplace or a different kind of culture or environment, what would that look like? And are these other companies really speaking for you? Because we are a growing economic force. Yeah. Um, and and you know what? Part of that, like there's also part of that, like through necessity, you know, that wasn't always by choice for everyone. Yeah. So, and so yeah. yeah, I'm going to put you on the spot. Mm-hmm. If I were to create a small business and or entrepreneurial super PAC, would you be my PR agent? Oh, totally. <laughs> All right. Fantastic. Um, not saying I will do that, but you know, we, we have to figure out ways of doing that because there's, there's a, there's a voice that's really not being met and I'm not sure the right ways. I just know that there's a problem and we need to get together and fix it. Well, like Obamacare, the debate around that was like a clear, I mean, that was such an easy example. Right. And I I had debates with my family members and people I know I had like a screaming match with a friend of mine who works for my husband's company, who I'm like, your company gives you great healthcare and benefits and you don't know what it's like. And, you know, I think that um, that was a really great entry point for small businesses to say, well, what, what do you want your options to be up to this point? You didn't have great options. Is this perfect? No, but is it a step in the right direction? And I don't have answers for that. I think it's, but I think that we should be asking the questions and more vocal about what we need. Absolutely. All righty. So we're going to go ahead and wrap up the show here. If people remember nothing else about you and your body of work and maybe where it's going, what would you want that to be? 
to do the great work you're doing and to make a big, bigger impact, it's so important, like I said earlier, to be relentlessly focused on what you're trying to achieve. You know, what is, what is that? What kind of change do you want to make within people? Who are the people that you want to be reaching? And we didn't talk about this too much, this part of it, but how can you make it super easy and super clear for the people you're trying to reach so that you create a very clear path for them for taking that next step, whether it's with you or in some other way. I think that's so important and it's easy to get distracted by shiny object syndrome or what's the next big thing. And that relentless focus, I think, is the key to really making more of an impact with your work. That's fantastic. Thanks so much for joining us today, Bridget. Thank you. Okay, Creative Giants, so you've heard it from Bridget. What can you do to clarify your mission, to make that mission and, and come up with a way of talking about people and remain relentlessly focused on that? That's your homework. Until next time, stand tall. Thanks for listening to The Creative Giant Show. To find more tools and inspiration for creative giants, head on over to ProductiveFlourishing.com. Stand tall, Creative Giant.